Alexander the Great marched across the world, resolved to keep going until he reached the river Oceanus, which encircled it. He led farm boys from Macedon 11,000 miles into the shrouded heart of India, where they charged elephants, monsters they had never seen before, with their spears. On the way, he conquered the Persian Empire, which had invaded Greece and been repulsed a century before his time. He never lost a battle. He was the greatest general of all time. His name was Alexander, and he's always been called the Great. His teacher was the supreme Greek intellect, the philosopher Aristotle. He might have conquered the world, but died before he was 40, with his armies on the border of China. He was a meteor and transformer of history, who created the Hellenistic world through which the gospel of Jesus Christ spread 300 years later. There has never been another like him. His story and legend has spread from Scotland to Malaya. We will trace his star-crossed career this afternoon. Alexander was the son of King Philip of Macedon, a great warrior and conqueror, and Philip's proud, mystical, and passionate queen, Olympias, whom Alexander deeply loved. As a young man, Alexander patterned himself after the heroes of Homer and swore to conquer Persia, the ancient enemy of the Greeks and the greatest empire of the ancient world before Rome. When he was just 20 years old, he became king of Macedon when his father, King Philip, was assassinated. From the beginning, he was resolved to conquer the Persian Empire, historic enemy of all Greeks. But his first campaigns were to assure the mastery, his mastery of Greece. First to rise against him was Thessaly, thinking to take advantage of the youth and inexperience of the new Macedonian king. Marching on the Vale of Tempe in Thessaly, Alexander found the strongly, found the strongly defended pass leading to it five miles long and so narrow that it could only accommodate horsemen riding in single file. His father would have bought off or tricked the defenders or come again another year. Alexander now proved for the first time that no physical obstacle, land or sea, could ever stop him. Alexander had steps cut in the cliff face of Mount Ossa facing the sea, Marsh's army where no man had ever walked before. Afterwards, men called the steps on Mount Ossa Alexander's Ladder, outflanked the pass, and appeared on the plains of the Pineus River without losing a man. For the first time, Alexander the Great had showed that physical obstacles did not exist for him. The Thessalians, first to behold the Alexandrian thunderbolt in action, submitted at once. Their cavalry were to ride with him all the way to India. The next spring, campaigning against barbarians in the north, Alexander flung all his men across the broad Danube River on fishing boats and hay-filled tent skins, marking, the, marking his frontiers where later were drawn those of the Roman Empire. So Greece learned of the greatest general in history had arrived among them, and they began to fear him. Deceived by a false report that he had been slain in Thrace, the city of Thebes rose in rebellion. Alexander was there in two weeks, marching faster than the messengers reporting his coming. 
He stormed Thebes and razed it to the ground, sparing only the house of Pindar, considered the greatest poet of the Greeks. Alexander withal was a Greek first and considered himself the guardian and champion of Hellenic culture. Just one city remained independent, storied Sparta, whose 300 heroes under King Leonidas had held the pass of Thermopylae against all the hosts of Asia when the Persians invaded Greece in the 5th century BC. Even Sparta, the city of heroes, dared not fight Alexander, but surrendered to him instead. In Alexander the Great were joined the firm resolution and extraordinary political sagacity of his father, Philip, the blazing passion of his mother, Olympias, and the discipline and expansion of mind resulting from his tutoring for three years by the incomparable Aristotle. Alexander's goal was not simply the conquest of all the immense empire of Persia. It was to reach the far shore of the river Oceanus, which Aristotle had taught him ring the inhabited world. The best book about Alexander is called The March Across the World. There is good reason to doubt that any other conqueror in history, with the probable exception of Napoleon Bonaparte, actually and deliberately aspired to take over the whole civilized world. Alexander not only aspired to it, he very nearly achieved it. Had he lived a normal lifespan, he was entirely capable of having achieved it, for before his premature death, he was concretely planning the conquest of Arabia and all the shores of the Mediterranean Sea, which would have left of civilized lands only eastern India and China outside his domain. He had inscribed on his official statues, You Zeus, whole Olympus, I set the earth beneath me. What drove this man? There is no convincing evidence that he sought power and wealth for their own sake, like so many lesser, lesser leaders. Though marred by occasional gusts of uncontrollable passion, the heritage of his mother, his rule was generally just and remarkably far-sighted. The cultural unification of East and West was his explicit announced objective, and his attainment was well begun even in his own short lifetime, and despite his early death, was achieved and preserved in large part for over a thousand years. In the spring of 334 B.C., with an army of about 32,000 men, less than a half Macedonian, with 9,000 spear bearers in the iron discipline unit called the phalanx, 3,000 shield bearers and 1,800 companion cavalry, which he always led personally into battle, and the rest from old Greece. Alexander crossed to Asia to offer sacrifice on the hill of Troy, storied Ilium, location of the war sung in the great epic poem of the Greeks, Homer's Iliad. Alexander garlanded into the tomb of Achilles and took from his temple at Ilium the holy shield, said to date back to the Trojan War, to guard him on his mission. It was later to save his life as he battled alone in an Indian fortress. He was 28 years old. The king of Persia, kings of Persia were falling by poison even as the king of Macedon and overlord of Greece, Alexander's father Philip, fell by a dagger. The bonds of legitimacy and order were dissolving. The hope Greece had brought into the world was being browned in endless internecine bloodshed. The great Plato was near dead 
was dead and near despair of the world and the chosen people of Israel in their closed society were cut off by that, from their fellow men by the invisible walls that Ezra's teaching of the law had raised once the material war, walls of Nehemiah were in place. The world seemed without direction or purpose. God's law benefited only those few who knew it. God's gift of reason was understood and celebrated only by a handful of little-nosed teachers and their students in the declining, no longer free cities of Greece. In just 13 years, that world was to be transformed as no single mortal man before or since has transformed it. United and ordered from old Greece to the heart of India, with Greek language and culture and learning and reason spreading all through this vast expanse, a whole new amalgamated civilization of Western Middle East, created by a march across the world, by, led by the greatest commander of this or any other age, the supreme general of all times. It was a march of more than 11,000 miles across some of the most forbidding terrain on earth, on which he won every one of the many battles he had to fight. Having symbolically identified himself with the heroes of Homer's epic, Alexander struck the first Persian army to challenge him at the Grandcus River, meeting it head-on in a clash at the center of the battle line, barely escaping death. His life was saved by his bodyguard, Black Cletus. He, spoke, he broke the Persians, capturing thousands of their Greek mercenaries whom he killed or sold into slavery for fighting against the Greek cause. Then he was master of Asia Minor. Behind Alexander was the Phoenician fleet of the Persian Empire with 400 warships, outnumbering his navy more than two to one. Disdaining the challenge of this powerful enemy naval force in its own element, Macedon had never had a navy, Alexander adopted his typically Alexandrian counter-strategy as breathtakingly audacious as it was eventually effective. Capture all the Mediterranean ports of the Persian Empire from the Aegean Sea around to Egypt, leaving the hostile fleet no base. Exactly this he did during the next two years. He met the king of Persia, Darius III, personally in battle at Issus, where the Mediterranean shore turned south to become the coast of Syria. Then he captured the island city of Tyre, Queen of Phoenicia, by no less a tactic than extending the land out to reach it. For 600 years, since the days of King Hiram and Solomon and the building of the Jewish temple, Tyre on its island had been the mistress of the eastern Mediterranean. To take it, Alexander built a mole to within artillery range of the island. So well did he build the mole that it remained permanently a new addition to the map and Tyre began its long decline to the poor fishing village it is today, as the prophets of Israel had predicted centuries before. Alexander did conquer Persia, twice confronting the Persian emperor in the midst of thousands of soldiers, and then pursuing him through the mountains and deserts until he found him lying dead beside his chariot, slain by a local governor who wanted to be on the winning side. On October 1st, 331 B.C., Alexander met the whole force of the Persian Empire at the battlefield of Gargamela on the dead flat plains of Mesopotamia. We call it Iraq today. 
The Persians had lined up chariots bearing death-dealing scythes to charge Alexander's army. He opened the lines of the phalanx to receive the scythe-bearing chariots harmlessly. Let a charge of his companion cavalry oblique to the right, broke the Persian line by an irresistible charge, then halted the charge, faced about, and shattered the Persian center. Never hesitating, never making a mistake, and if you study military history, you know how rare that is. Never hesitating, never making a mistake, Alexander conducted the decisive battle for the Persian Empire like a skilled surgeon in an operating room cutting the Persian host to pieces with methodical incisions until Persian King Darius III, unnerved by twice meeting face-to-face the premier battle captain of all time, lost heart and fled, throwing away his chariot, shield, and bow. A frantic fugitive, Darius III rode wildly for the mountains. The triumphant Alexander looked in at Babylon, one capital of the Persian Empire, staying there about a month. Then he looked in at Susa and Elam, another Persian imperial capital, staying there about a month. By then, winter gripped the high, harsh plateau of Iran, which is what we call Persia today. No matter, the march across the world must go on. In January, midwinter, Alexander's army was at the Persian gates, the pass through which ran the only road to the ultimate imperial capital of Persepolis from the west. It was guarded by thousands of troops who repulsed the first attack. Alexander the Great on the march was more like an elemental force than a mortal man. Every physical obstacle was one more challenge to be overcome. On this occasion, he took his, uh, half his army 11 miles by night along a snowy track over the back of the mountains overlooking the Persian Gates Pass, struck the Persians in the rear, and routed them. Proceeding by forced marshes, marshes to the Persian capital, the original home base of their empire, he took it and burned the palace of Xerxes, the last Persian empire, to, to, the last Persian emperor to invade Greece. No building ever rose again on its site. The ashes of the palace of Xerxes symbolized the total and permanent collapse of Persian power, which Alexander had set himself to destroy forever. Now he had done so. Alexander intended a wholly new order to take the place of the ruined empire, an order which would put Greek and Persian on an equal footing as citizens, to be a fusion of peoples and cultures rather than the simple domination of Greeks over Asiatics. At Ekpatana, capital of Media, the troops from old Greece would march under the banner of the war of revenge against the ancient Persian foe, were paid off and allowed either to return home or to enlist in what was now indubitably Alexander's own army, to be led wherever he willed and used for whatever purposes he chose. Many of the Greeks did enlist, and almost all the Macedonians remained. Still fleeing from his relentless adversary, Darius III, who was now on the shores of the remote Caspian Sea. With him was Bessus, governor of the province of Bactria, in eastern Iran. He decided to fall back on that province and claim there for himself whatever might be left of the power and prestige of the great king. As Alexander, with 500 picked horsemen, bore down on Bessus and Darius, Bessus took out a knife and stabbed him to death. 
a Macedonian soldier found the king of kings, abandoned by all, breathing his last. So ignominiously ended the Persian imperial line after 220 years. The conqueror was just 28 years old. The march went on. After zigzagging through central Iran, imposing peace on restive governors, the army crossed the Hindu killer mountains, called by the Greeks Paropamasadai, the peaks over which the eagle cannot fly. In March 329, finding shelter only in huts, submerged beneath enormous snowdrifts, eating only herbs and the meat of their own baggage animals, meat which was raw because there was no wood to cook it. Alexander was approaching the roof of the world, but still no natural barrier could stop him. Beyond the Oxus River lay the province of Sogdiana, the last province of the Persian Empire at the edge of the endless, uncivilized Central Asian steppe. There, Bessus was seized and delivered up to Alexander, who had him executed for the murder of King Darius. Alexander took Samarkand and marched all the way to the Yaxartes River in the heart of Asia, where he set his ultimate frontier, founding a city which he called Alexandria the Farthest. At the point where the Yaxartes River flows out of the Vale of Fergana, at this point, the Yaxartes River flows out of the Vale of Fergana, which leads to a pass over the Tianshan Mountains into China, and still more than a century from its unification by the Emperor Shi Huangti in its period of warring states. Divided, it too could have been conquered. China does not know Alexander, but it was more than a thousand years before another army from the west reached this point. Then Alexander plunged into the heart of India with its elephants and venomous cobras and naked philosophers. At one fortress in India, he leaped down alone into its courtyard with a shield of Achilles, sword swinging. and took a yard-long arrow in his lungs. The wound did not stop him. It seemed that nothing could stop him. But finally his men demanded that they stop. On the easternmost of the five rivers of the Punjab in India, the Beth, Alexander would not believe it. He wanted to go on further east. No other man ever led men, as Alexander the Great had been. His men told him they would follow him anywhere except further east. Returning home to the new world he had created, he led his army across the Gedrosian Desert of Iran, which no other army in history has ever crossed. Then in 323, he died in Babylon, still in his 30s. The world was never the same again. He believed that the gods of Homer and of ancient Egypt were with him, and we know as Christians that the one true God must have been with him, for by his march across the world, Alexander the Great prepared the way for its conversion. The prophet Daniel foresaw him, saying under the impetus of the Holy Spirit, quote, Behold, a he-goat came from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground, and the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. He came to the ram with two horns, which I have seen on the bank of the river, and ran at him in his mighty wrath. 
I saw him come close to the ram, and he was enraged against him, and struck the ram and broke his two horns. And the ram had no power to stand before him, and cast him down to the ground and trampled upon him. And there was no one who would rescue the ram from his power. End quote. That's the scripture. Alexander's conquest united the world of the Middle East with the classical world of Greece and Rome for the only time in history. Jew and Greek entered the same cultural orbit. Thanks to Alexander, the whole ancient world spoke Greek and could read the Gospels proclaiming the Godhead of Jesus Christ, which were written in Greek. St. Paul followed Alexander's course in the opposite direction. When Pontius Pilate of Rome sat in judgment on Jesus Christ, he came east as Alexander had done. And then the Second Vatican Council, all our churches faced east because from the, from the east the divine light had come. So, to the, to the, so the eastward quest of Alexander the Great lives today in the Christian church and faith.